0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my brother, Eric, and my cousin, Michael.
1: Hello. How's it going?
0: Uh, so, of course, this is the podcast uh, by fans of tennis, for fans of tennis, uh, and this is kind of uh, an interesting week for us because, you know, we don't have any uh, anything to talk about, right, guys? Nothing? Nothing? Is this going to be like a five-minute podcast and then we're done?
1: Pretty much, and I mean, we, we, we were fresh from last week, uh, taking the week off and recouping ourselves heading into the grass court season. Yeah. So.
0: yeah, I guess even we need to take a break, right? Like like the players yeah, do.
2: There's a couple of small tournaments, though. I mean, I maybe six minutes, Mike. Seven tops. Okay. And you'd be in and out.
0: Awesome. Right. Uh, okay, so obviously last week I wasn't here. I was off on uh, vacation. Uh, I went to, to Myrtle Beach and, uh, you know, had a lot of fun. Uh,
2: Why? Why? <laughs>
1: Because yes. hey, why do you need to go on vacation? None of us went on vacation.
2: Uh, I know, but I like I like Ocean City better. I've been to Myrtle Beach. I don't like the beach of Myrtle Ocean Beach. Ocean uh. City, Mike. There's Ocean like, City all the way. There's like a hundred yards between where the water is and then where you get actual sand because it's just a bunch of seashells. You get to like walk around and not step on. And I just, I just I just like how the actual. I'll just
1: put it you this way, Mike. Sounded like he had a good time. So. Oh, of
2: course he did. Whatever. Yeah, but you could have power made, to you. Mike. If you don't went to, if you don't want Ocean City, you could have went to the Hobbit. The restaurant after the movie. Right, and you then go. you there had that roasted duck breast with um, mashed potatoes. What was not White truffle mashed potatoes. Mm. Oh, it's delicious. Anyway. You
1: remember all that, but you can't remember what you did yesterday. <laughs> That's true.
2: <laughs> hey, sometimes some stuff sticks with you, man. I never had duck before that. And now every time I go, got to go to to the hospital. Anyway, back to you, Mike. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, the French Open is over. We're now fully into grass season. Uh, we don't have uh Wimbledon quite yet, we're only one week away. And uh that that means that we've been dealing with a uh with some what uh tournaments we have uh uh Queens uh club that just finished up here. We have uh Halle Halle. Uh Halle that just finished up as well. Um Birmingham. Yep, so women's side. Yep, Birmingham and and so you know, I mean, there's stuff to talk about here, but let's let's first start out with, with the news, which, of course, when we usually do these podcasts, the first thing we do is we cover recent uh, tournament results. So, uh, first thing on the list would be that Roger Federer has won Halle for the ninth time. Yay. So, uh, yes, of course, as you can see, uh, Michael, uh, his yay. So, uh, obviously, you're excited about that, Michael, but uh, the question is: Looking at this tournament, looking at uh, the lineup of players, um, you know, what are, what are you guys' thoughts in general on Halle? Because you know, Roger winning nine titles anywhere—I don't care who, you, what you got to do—is is impressive. But do you kind of wish that maybe Roger would play? I don't know, Queens or something. Every once in a while, do you, do you th- because the disparity between the field at Queens and the field at Holly is just there's there's no question which field is is more difficult to uh, navigate through.
2: I think it's it's it doesn't matter as much on which one he plays. I do know um, Holly just happened to be the one he started with back in... you know he first won it in two thousand and three, and I think um, because. Halle is so much closer to his home um, than London would be. He can, after Halle is over, he can go back home, you know, since he lives in Switzerland, Mm -hmm. um, Basil there. I I think that has a little bit to do, especially back when he was a lot younger, um, when he was single still, things like that. But Halle, the grass plays... A little bit more like, and what I've heard, like Wimbledon mm-hmm. than Queens, than Queen's Club actually does. Um, and, you know, they've got an indoor—I say indoor, but they have a roof on their center court too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think it's more or less just to get some matches under his belt and to get some confidence, whether or not the field's loaded or he's playing nobody—you know—ranked inside the top hundred. I think it's more or less just to get some matches and to get some practice in, uh, more than anything, because I don't think. Winning, winning or not winning Halle has a big effect on how he does at Wimbledon. Just like Queen's Club. I mean, Andy, Andy Murray's won Queen's Club five times, and he hasn't always won Wimbledon after he's won Queen, Queen's Club. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and the same thing with Roger. Roger's won Halle nine <clears> times now, um, and he's won Wimbledon seven times. So there's been a few times where he obviously, you know, it's in duplicate. So I don't think there's as big of a reason. And then, secondly, and this is to do with just a long-standing issue with Queen's Club and London in general, is the tax, the That's taxation. A big um, you know, Nadal stated previously when he stopped playing it, uh, like three, four, five years ago, or whatnot, that he basically had to win, win Queen's Club just to break even because of the way they tax that tournament, which is really terrible if you think about it unless there's something different about other players how do you expect anybody of real notability to play in a tournament to where you know so what if you got in the first round are you losing a ton of money how is that even possible how do you expect that well how do you expect people to play if they're losing money unless they win it type of deal so i don't really know all the circumstances around it but that doesn't help you know queen's club uh draw a bunch of people and i think that's Partly why you see some people not play it, some people just can't afford it. So I, I don't really know about uh, you know what they're doing. And Nadal was gonna play this year if he probably didn't win French Open, he was slated to play, uh, but you know he did have to pull up because of exhaustion. So no, I don't think it's a big deal that that Roger never played Queen's Club. I think. He played Halle in one, <laughs> and I think that's what it, what all it was. I think he's like, all right, I like it. We'll just stay here, and it never changed since. Because you never – I don't think you've seen Nadal go to Halle, have you?
0: Yeah,
1: he's, he was there. Yeah, he played yeah. there one year, didn't he, Mike?
2: One year two years.
1: I think it was one year, th- but it might have been but two. But I think
2: that was because of – That was right winning. after
1: the Queens yeah. thing yeah. happened and where he I decided to switch over. Yeah, yeah, I think
2: that's why. I think if that wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't have seen Nadal right. play at Halle at all.
1: So I don't know. What do you think, Mikey? Um. In my eyes, I think Roger only looks at it as a tune-up at that point. Um, I, I think that it's just about him getting out there, getting the feel of playing on grass. I don't think for him, I don't think that it's by any means a thing where he goes out there and says, Oh, you know, I'm going to go to Halle because I I can win the tournament every year or something like that. I mean, that could be in the back of the mind, but I don't think that that's the focus for him. Uh, I think it's he knows he can go there and he can get a few matches in no matter what. Uh, even the years that he lost, I believe he lost on the final of the year that he didn't win it. Um, so I, in my opinion, I think it, it's, it's just all about preparation for him. He knows that he's going to feel comfortable there. He's, you know, used to the surroundings there. Like you said, Eric, he is, uh, closer to home, which allows him a little bit of time to, to, you know, to head back home in between, uh, the tournament ending or whenever he was done with the tournament and Wimbledon starting. So it allows a little bit more family time. And then, uh, you know, like I said, it's all about comfortability and and just being confident on grass. And I think that not just playing on the grass to get, you know, confident with your play, but, you know, being uh, relaxed in doing so, I think is a big deal too. He knows what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis tournament. He knows where everything is there. His routine can be very, very set in stone from year to year. It's not like a whole lot's going to change for the players year to year there. So I, I think for him it's just... I'm going to go there. I'm going to play some matches. If I win, I win. I don't, I don't. And I'm just, you know, that's his preparation. That's what he does. Uh, like for any for any player, you know, they have different things that they do before a match or before a tournament or, you know, whether they they train harder or train less. I think in this case for Roger, it's I'm going to go to Holly. I'm going to play on the grass. If I win, I win. I don't, I don't. This is my preparation. And then I'm going to go to Wimbledon a little early and, and get ready to play.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, he he lost, uh, what, two weeks ago against Tommy Haas at uh, Stuttgart. Uh, that was, I think, uh, it was a good match. I watched it.
1: Um, I mean, Tommy played well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm not su- saying wasn- that he didn't. It wasn't surprising it, either. I mean, I mean, it, it, it was. You still wouldn't expect Tommy Haas to beat at him. At 39, too, at 39. At 39, but, but let's be honest. Tommy Haas is the freshest 39-year-old you're ever going to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, he plays with a picky. And, and let's be honest. Lot, and let's be so honest. Doesn't... Yeah, and let's be honest. Tommy Haas can still play. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen him play, you know, a few won. matches over the last couple weeks, and like he has the ability. He, does he look thirty nine? Yeah, he still looks thirty nine. But but his level, you know, Tommy Haas is a great champion. We've seen him do amazing things on the court for many many years. We know he's got all the tools. He can hit any shot on the court. He's got all the variety, which is a big factor on grass. You've got to have a little bit of variety, you know. Otherwise, the top guy, the top big hitters, are just going to blow you off the court all the time. So, you know, in, in Tommy's case, he's got a great slice. He's got variety. He can, you know, move the ball around. Uh, was it a surprise to me? Yes, but I agree with you, Eric. It's not as big a surprise, being that it was coming right off the French and everything like that. But, but it'll regardless. So.
2: Well, it wasn't a surprise because Federer hadn't done anything for. Craig well season. that was his
1: first match in months exactly so, so that's yeah. why i
2: said it wasn't surprising well yeah i see what you're saying
0: played through yeah
2: so,
1: this is true this is true yeah by all means mike go ahead sorry
0: <laughs> no no, i mean like it, you know it was a good match and both players played at a, at a good level but you know as to this whole you know holly title for roger uh getting back to that like it, it's a it's not a title it's a it's a great accomplishment so, you know, like you said, Michael, it's a tune-up for him. It's just about getting comfortable and getting into a familiar routine. Uh, it just happened to be that the familiar routine landed him a ninth uh, title. So, you know, it's good preparation yeah, and, for Yeah, and,
1: and not to mention, I mean, you know, talking about the final itself, I mean, <sighs> Roger played pretty flawless, but, I mean, he didn't have to do a lot. Zverev looked extremely flat. Yeah. Um. He looked actually very – he looked very curious ish out there, honestly, in my opinion. He didn't look like, you know, there was a whole lot going on in, his, in between the years out there. Um, I mean, Roger was playing at a blistering pace on serve. Zverev wasn't even able to do anything on his serve. And it was almost like Zverev was just continuously serving in a lot of games. I mean, I think Roger probably had – you know, seven or eight holds that were under two minutes, <laughs> and and of several that were under a minute. I mean, it, it was that quick. It was like boom, 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 and you know, his service game was done. and Zverev was having to serve again.
0: Yeah, well, it was um, six, it was a six one six three match. So, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I watched the whole thing, and it, it just Zverev looked very disinterested. I mean, again. I am I was excited, you know, Roger did play very clean, but again, I don't think he had to press or go for a lot either in that match. I, I don't think that it was difficult for him to, you know, really inv- invoke a game plan. Uh, the game plan looked like it was to bring Zverev into net as much as possible, which he did, and just passed him with ease, as though he didn't know how to volley, and let's be honest, Zverev, with his brother, played in the doubles final right after that. Uh, so he knows how to play at net, uh, but he just looked very, very uneasy at net, um, which kind of surprised me a little bit because he is a decent volleyer, but just the way that Roger was bringing him in on point-to-point. Point, but uh, in my opinion, in a way, um, it, it could have easily not been Roger in the final because he struggled against uh, Hatchnov. I mean, he he was blistering the ball – I don't know if either of you watched it in the semi, but Roger struggled a lot in that match because Hatchnov was just literally crushing the ball from everywhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and always had Roger on the defensive. So, you know, in my mind, I look at it as a positive that he was able to play as tough a match as he did against Hatchnov especially against a big hitter because, let's be honest, those are the guys that are going to have the best chance to knock Roger out at Wimbledon is to play those big hitters that can take the ball out of your hand, and he proved that he was able to hang with him. Albeit it was tough, you know. He that probably gave him a lot of confidence going into the final against another big hitter in Zverev, and it it, it just looked easy out there uh, in the final. But uh, but again, I don't give as much credit to Rogers' win against Zverev as I do against Hatchnov in, in the semifinal. So, I mean that obviously I probably I don't know if you guys watched the matches at all, but. That was that's what I was seeing.
0: Yeah, no, no, I was watching them too, and uh, you're right. Uh, big hair, like Hatchinoff was pushing him around, but considering that he found a way to navigate his way through the match, it uh, it allowed him to be confident going in against Zverev, who I think at this point I, I know he he really crushed uh, Djokovic a few weeks uh, back in in Madrid, but he's still learning what it what it takes. From a mental aspect, uh, uh, when you're in the final of uh, any tournament, it doesn't matter whether it's a Grand Slam or a <laughs> Masters 1000 or, or whatever this and this is his first time it, it, you know, in going for the title of a grass court tournament. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of – he's had a lot of firsts, Zverev, and this is just another first for him and I think it's something he'll learn from so – All right, so we have uh, Feliciano Lopez, who defeated Marin Cilic uh, for the Queens Club title. Um, I think we can all agree this was a pretty uh, unexpected result, in a way, Uh, and very, very impressive, because he beat four players who were seated above him. And, uh, you know, that included Cilic, of course, in the final.
1: Um, Everybody, you mean. Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, he
0: beat Burdick, he beat... um, Dimitrov. Dimitrov. And uh, there's – there's some... Stan. He beat, he beat Stan. Stan. He beat Stan. And he beat, beat Stan in the first round. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean this is a guy who comes in uh, – how old is Luis Lopez now? About 33? 35. 35? 30. Gee, okay. Yeah, 35.
1: Lopez is 35. So,
0: yeah, he's 35 years old like Roger and yet he said, I feel like I'm playing the best tennis of my career. And that is scary coming from a guy. He's like one of the only serving volleyers left on tour and it's his game is well suited to the grass it's an impressive impressive win for him what do you guys think
2: it, it's not a it's not a ground and pound type of style i mean when you watch him it's very finessy yeah a way, it's kind of like roger ish a little bit where it doesn't look like he's putting a lot of effort into it when he hits it's not not like nadal where you know you can feel you know the power being exerted whenever he hits each shot where feliciano it is pretty fluid Um, and it's surprising, but then not, I mean, I've seen him do good results in the past. I think, you know, Roger winning, it goes back to Roger winning Australian open, showing that a 35 year old can win a grand slam, someone who was thought to be never going to win again. He was put out the pasture. Oh, he can compete. He can make it to semis and stuff like that. But is he ever going to be a real threat? is obviously you've seen now a bunch of older players make kind of little resurgence.
1: Perfect example then. is Ivo Karlovic playing as well as he has in the Rams, playing like 38. really well.
2: Feliciano's playing really well. Um, You know, Stan, While well, Stan's been playing pretty well the last couple of years. There's Stan again, Stan made it to the final again. I mean, just having someone, you know, as big as Roger was, show, okay, you know, age is just a number type of deal. <clears throat> I think gave a lot of people confidence that oh okay I can do it too now it's not just a young man's game I mean I know for the most part 30s you know you've had Federer and Federer but you have Murray Nadal and Djokovic are all 30 31 and they've been dominating it but you've got Lopez is 35 Karlovic is what 38 39 Karlovic 38 I believe yeah 30, I know, 38 you know so I I think that uh it's good to see but I was a little surprised but then not that that he beat Chilich because I've seen some some minor cracks in Chilich's game his serve is on
1: point but his return
2: his is... serve is on point
1: Chilich is serving as good as he did at the US Open when he won where he was absolutely knocking everybody off court but
2: he's got some issues with that first serve percentage. His his
1: percentage was down a
2: little bit, I'll agree. And that's what, but see, that's what allowed allowed Lopez to beat him in both tie breaks because he was able to get, like, that first tie break that Lopez won 7 2. It had a lot to do with Chilich not getting in the first serve Mm -hmm. and having poor placement on the second serve. So, I mean, the way both of them played, granted, they haven't played, you know, these fields weren't loaded besides the first round and you had Murray standing around and you go
1: out. Yeah. That kind of <laughs> makes the draw a little wide open and curious yeah, went out in the first round. Yeah, so, you know,
2: curious, um, go out. <laughs> so yeah, those go, those good, and they all lost in good sets, you know, seven sixes and seven fives and six twos and stuff like that. But, you know, this is going to give them a lot of, uh, of firepower going into Wimbledon. Um, just because of who they beat in the first round, you just took out like, three of the top six players that you'd have to worry about Uh and two people were unseated you had a lucky loser beat murray and you had a wild card beat raunich but that's not any wild card no it's not any wild card i mean kokanakis does have we know
1: he's got the firepower and and he's got the ability that's true but
2: i'm just saying that no no i agree you know that in itself is a big motivator because it's not that feliciano lopez beat murray in the final and that's great it's These people ranked number one, two, and three, who honestly in the list of the top five players to make it, I mean, Stan not really as much because he's never made it to the semis or past the quarters. But, you know, Murray and Raonic, easily, all right, there's a good chance 50-50 shot one of those two. Well, Raonic is
1: runner-up for Wimbledon. Exactly, exactly.
2: So, you know, and, and just to see those two go out, all of a sudden kind of sends a shockwave. You know, Federer losing a couple weeks ago, you know, at it's Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. You know, shows that that nobody's invincible anymore, especially on grass. You know, anything can happen. So That's why I
1: say about those big hitters that can pretty much take it out of your hands and you have no say.
2: Yeah. I, I mean I hope it's not it's it's not gonna be like okay Lopez shows up one but in and loses in the second, third round. It'd be nice to see that them actually push it's always nice to see matches go to tie breaks mm-hmm. and things like that where
1: everything's really close and, it, and it's it's exciting like because with a tie break one point can completely decide us you know yeah. decide the set it's more exciting it's one of those few things where it literally is one point can decide everything and who knows we see we see Lopez go against Cilic we could have a so we could beat the
2: record of, of Isner and Mahout, you know? Hey, you never know. The way, the way those guys are serving, you can you easily get it to 100,
1: 101 or two. another thing, when was the last time that you guys saw somebody slice that much? Oh, yeah. Lopez is just slicing everything on the backhand side. Yep. But he's got a very good slice. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it works, but I was just, like, watching the match, and I'm completely thrown off. Like, this guy's hitting no pace on the backhand whatsoever. I think, yes, I saw him come over, like, five maybe in the whole match but yeah, it does make it um and another shout out uh to a guy that has done really well completely out of the blue, Jules Muller. Yeah. Who, Weird who, who made the semi who who made two finals, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, won one of them, and I believe he played Chilich in the semi here.
2: Yeah, he beat yeah. he beat Songa and Query.
1: Yeah, and got to the semi and lost a tight three setter to Chilich. Yeah. In a match that he was completely in the whole time. Um and he's well into his 30s. Well, yeah, he didn't lose a single service game either until Chile. Until Chile, yeah, that's what he, I'm saying. Yeah, so he was perfect. Um, well. You know, credit to him. Another guy that's well into his 30s that's that's having a resurgence. You know, he he was injured for a few years there, and you know he's coming back with a real positive attitude and, and really making a lot of effort here. So um, just power to him, yeah. Mike. Your your thoughts on any of that?
0: Yeah, I mean look, I, I pretty much don't have anything to add when it comes to you guys' this kind of dissection there of uh of the Queen's Club final and, and everything. And I like your thoughts on on both uh, uh Lopez and, and his style play and what he's doing out there. Uh when it comes to Gilles Muller, I was surprised. I you know, the last couple of weeks I was hearing Gilles Muller, Gilles Muller, and honestly, for whatever – because I didn't see – I didn't see like his matches at uh, – I think it was at Stuttgart. Um, but when I was hearing about that, I thought, is it, a, is it a young guy named Gilles Muller? I just assumed it was like a young player who just happened to have the same name. I didn't for a second before I, I actually looked up you know, the player and, and realized that it was that Gilles Muller. Uh, that it was a guy who's in his thirties, because I had kind of written him off. I almost wondered if, if I thought I just missed uh, his retirement recently, you know, because I hadn't seen him play in a long time. I hadn't heard anything about him for for at least the last couple of years. So um, I was surprised, but I, I was surprised by how well he played at Stuttgart, and um, really been surprised by how he played at uh, Queens Club and like you said another guy in his 30s making a late career run he knows he's only got you know a short period of time left probably on the tour and he's he's trying to make the most of it and uh, exerting that that effort and that positive attitude that's necessary I think especially as you get older you need to have a positive attitude you can't just rely on you know athleticism and youth they're gone. Once you get, your th- get to your 30s, you've got to go out there with, with a good attitude. Otherwise, you're going to lose early. So uh, good for him though. It's, it's really great to see. Okay. So uh, this is probably one of the most fascinating and surprising uh, probably actually out of every everything that we have for this podcast.
1: No, Mike. It's it's the best thing. It's the best thing. Honestly, it's, it's the best it's, thing. It's the best thing, and it's it's probably it's, the most it's rewarding surprising to see thing. and
0: hear. Petra Kvitova defeats uh, Ash Barty for the uh, Birmingham title. <laughs> so, um... I, I look. She she won that first match back on clay, and it was great at, at the French Open. Of course, we had no expectations for her there, and she lost in the next round. Um.
1: On her worst surface.
0: surface. But then she comes here and she wins Birmingham. And this is a player who's still recovering from having a a knife, you know, ripped through her her hand um, by an attacker. And you're dealing with both the physical and psychological damage of that kind of encounter. Uh, And I have no question in my mind. There's no question in my mind that, uh, you know, this is someone who's still dealing with a lot and yet she's out there fighting, hitting tennis balls, doing what she loves, and she won Birmingham. She won the grass uh, warm-up that is going to give her a chance to go into Wimbledon with a, a lot of energy, a lot of positive energy. And you can just see on her face, after you've been through something like she's been through, you can take it a lot of different ways, but I think the way she's taking it is just being thankful that she's alive and that she's still able to do the things that she loves. And she still has issues with her hand and she's out there hitting balls. And I just, I I don't even know what to say because it's such an inspirational and amazing thing to see. Uh, We know she's a two time Wolverine champion. Um, So let's be
1: honest, Mike, with the exception of Serena, is, is there anybody else that would be more of a favorite than her?
0: Probably not with the
1: pedigree that she has. With the pedigree. That's what I'm saying. There's no, there's no other grass court pedigree out there other than Serena's right now. I mean, we could say Venus, but again, we haven't seen Venus make a deep run at Wimbledon in a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it could happen. Obviously, she's played better in the last probably nine months than she had in the prior four years, at least or five even. Yeah. But the fact is, there's no one else with a grass pedigree. With the exception of Serena, right now nobody better than Kvitova.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. It's not the pedigree; it's the fact that uh, this is a player that, that literally just came back on tour.
1: Oh no no no! I, I'm agreeing, but um, what I'm saying is like this: this is this is like best case scenario right. at this point. But like I said, I, I mean, I'm I'm pointing it out as, um, you know, going in like right now, right now, as of right now, I I don't I don't think that we don't make her a near favorite at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. now I know that, I know that she pulled out of Eastbourne this week
0: um, and
1: and they, they, they listened. What was that? Ab issue. Yeah. They said it was an ab injury, abdominal injury, but again, that could just be from her playing, um, you know, playing a full tournament. She hasn't done that in, you know, a year or close to it really before that. She's played an entire tournament or, you know, an entire tournament in a row. It's been near a year. So, I mean, I don't look at it as like, oh, I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be a big issue going into Wimbledon. Um, but at this point, I, I just, like I said, Mike, I just feel like this is like the best story possible. Um, you know, because we've all, we've all seen her play. We all know how good she is. And just the simple fact that, you know, when you and I did the podcast, you know, what, over, over a month ago now, um, about the injury and about her comeback when we, you know, said what what had happened. Like, I don't think either you nor I thought that that was going to take place, that we were going to see this, and that she was going to play this well already and win her first grass Court tournament back. Um That's, in my opinion, why we, we have to look at her as the favorite right now. There's nobody else out there that's playing well enough to sway me otherwise right now. Now, maybe the Eastbourne tournament might change my mind, but I'm not seeing it right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I don't know. I'm 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 of two minds there. One half of me says Yeah, I can't agree more with what you're saying, but the other half of me says I know she just won this tournament but it's still just her second tournament back and yeah she's fresh but she's also not battle hardened you know which which takes time especially when you've been away you know i think there's there's um a double edged sword to having a lot of time off uh, and coming back in, to play regardless of whether it's the beginning of the year or in the middle of the year uh one on one hand you're you should be fresh you physically should have no injuries to deal with uh but at the same time um Going out there and fighting and dealing with the day-to-day pounding, while it can cause injuries, it, it can also help your body out in different ways that that time off doesn't allow, even if you're practicing and doing everything you need to do. So I, I feel like – on one hand, I feel like she's – yes. Yes, she should be up there, but I'm not ready to make her the favorite or the co-favorite. I put her – about third or fourth right now, just, just because I'm afraid to, to say, okay, she won this tournament. So man, we're, let's just throw her up there now. So, you know, I just, yeah. but uh, the
1: fact is though, look at it this way though, Mike, she, she's, she has to be ready. Otherwise, I mean, I realized that this wasn't the biggest women's tournament leading in, but the fact is like, you, you've got to list her. She got through an entire tournament. You know, she got through all the matches. She had no issues going through. I, in my mind, I, I look at her as being battle ready then. Really? Uh, am I wrong? I, I mean, mean, I understand I what mean, you're I, saying. Yeah. That, that she still She still hasn't played multiple tournaments and, you know, gone through a bunch of things. But, you know, she came back. She showed that she still had the ability at the French. And she got all the, you know, the hoopla out of the way by coming back and did exactly what she wanted to do. That's exactly what she wanted was to come back, get all the you know the stuff out of the way about coming back from the injury and everything and she did that and and then she went to the grass court just like she planned boom won the title. so I, I just in my mind I feel like things are going exactly the way that she wanted them to and I honestly feel like she's she's ready like she knows and I think it's her drive of coming back and, and being in her mind she's not gonna let this be a detriment to her um or or take anything away from her uh you know this incident not let it take from her what she loves and i think that the drive to do so um i think it's just so so strong right now in her belief in how well she can play on grass That i honestly i i think right now if we did our predictions i would pick her to win the wimbledon right now
0: okay i mean it's it's a valid point what you're saying i really you know i can't Fully. Dis- I just I- gotta.
1: I just gotta argue, uh, Mike.
0: I gotta argue a little. bit. It's okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. So let's move on here. But, yeah. uh, John McEnroe. This is now. We're kind of out of our results section here. We're kind of moving on to uh, stuff that's been popping up in the news in the last uh, you know week or so. Um, so one of the things, Eric, and I'll start with you. John McEnroe says that Serena Williams would be like seven hundredth in the world on the men's tour now this this uh has caused no short amount of controversy um we we've seen what the alienistazi stuff which that those things are on a different level because um they just were uh,
1: they were super derogatory yeah, this is just this is this is just slightly miss it's, it's, it's insulting yeah it's insulting i would say but not not the same way that Nastasi's comments right. well, well right. yeah so, nastazi's
2: yeah. were a were a Totally different level Nastasis were racist and macron is just sexist so all right so <laughs> um
0: well eric eric yeah go ahead uh, what are your thoughts on on this whole so thing
2: that well i'll start off saying that uh, Nastasi's comments were, were were not the worst racist but in it, it, racist in terms of that's what he was talking about um and then with uh McEnroe, um, you know, it it, it it harkens back to, you know, I think that the age of Tennessee came from, you know, we had Billie Jean King uh, against was Bobby, Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs, okay. Let's say Bobby Fisher and He's a ten- uh, chess player. So, <laughs> wrong one, wrong Bobby. Um, yeah, against Bobby Riggs harkens back to that. I think that <clears throat> it is really insulting because that wasn't even what the conversation was about when they were talking about Serena being, you know, maybe the best player of all time, male or female. They're talking about just wins um you know having grand some titles being titles not just saying oh well third screen on the men's tour and she's not going to be able to, to get past the rank you know rank of 700 that's that's not the same thing because there's many things that you can go reverse on and state about you know well you know if a man did this uh, as a woman you know he would be he'd do just as bad it's not like men are, are the you know, the strongest sex and everything. So it's kind of, it's it's degrading to her, but then it also reflects bad on, on, on us. It, it, it reflects bad on the male population because anybody with a brain doesn't think that. That's not what it's about at all. So I don't know. I mean, hopefully he was just kind of joking, but from the context that I, I read it in, I, I think he kind of believed that. It's kind of like his little shot, uh, which is surprising considering... You know, we're talking about an American woman here. You know, we haven't had an American male win a Grand Slam since Brodick in 2003. Yeah. I won the US Open. Um, so why would you attack the only other American that's given us Grand Slam titles just because she happens to be a female? So, I mean, it really made me upset. It's not surprising in a way because Macron has been known to say some outlandish stuff. Um, but it, it is disappointing, and I, I now kind of view him in a different light, even if he were to apologize. The fact of the matter is is that your brain let you say those words. They escaped your lips uh, without stopping yourself and thought that that was an okay thing to say. It'd be different if he kind of said it and was like, immediately, well, you know what? That was pro- Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. That's not right. But no, he didn't say anything of the sort, and the way he left it was that that's how it was, but that's that doesn't matter. It, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it, it irritated me. Like Nastasi it, it just, it irritated me. And now as much as I love Johnny Mac that that's, I kind of got to take a step back on how I, I kind of view him now because I don't, I don't do that. I, you know, nobody I know of you guys <laughs> obviously aren't sexist either. So it just, it rubs me the wrong way for things like that, especially when it's uncalled for. If someone would have made the comment that, man, you know, she'd have been able to beat Federer. Okay, you ask the question, you're answering the question because that's what it's about. Not going totally off topic and, and, and talking about uh, something as different as that is. So, I don't know. What did you what did you think?
1: Um. Well, you know, after this, after the Stasi incident and after this now, I'm – I honestly think that it is as you said a little bit that you you push to it, I think it's a generational thing. And oh, yeah. and I I, I'm not making an excuse <laughs> by any means. I I am the exact same line as you. This this isn't okay. It's not okay to say these kind of things. It's really not. I I don't necessarily think that he meant it exactly that way, but the generation that generation I think does look at it that way because In that time, you know, that time period that many years ago, things were perceived completely different than they are today. Well, yeah. Women didn't have the same rights. Well, uh, yeah. And I mean, I'm trying not to get into that too much. But the fact is, that is the way it is. And that generation looks at it completely different than our generation today. And I agree with you. It doesn't matter. He said it. Uh, It's not okay. (laughs) I agree with you. I uh I, I I'm taking a step back from John a little bit here because that that wasn't okay. But I, I understand what he was meaning, but in my own way, I understand what he was meaning. Like, yes, I don't think that Serena could compete. In his mind, he was looking at it as oh well, you know, she's not the greatest player ever because if she played on the men's tour but the fact is, like, you didn't you didn't explain it that way, and you didn't you didn't justify it. And and the way that it came out did not feel as though, like in my eyes, if I was making that argument, that's how I would be looking at it. Like, well, you know, if she had to play against the men, that would be a different story. But that's true. But we would say that with anyone because that's You're playing. that's the that, that's the perceived notion. It would be difficult for a woman to match a man on the court. Not saying it couldn't be done. Not at all. But you know, in my mind, it's, it's a generational thing. I feel that most of the players from that generation would be very much along those exact same lines. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing. That's, that's, um, that's kind of sad in a way, being that there were so many women from that era that really pushed um, for things to not be that way, especially the women from that generation, um, to change things to the way they are today. Which has caused, you know, people like the three of us to think much differently than that generation did. So, um, I, I'm, I'm only looking at it as I didn't want to see it intended the way that it was said, but it is, and um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say on it. I, I I'm not able to draw the conclusion that I'm trying to, <laughs> to put out here, Mike. Yeah. So, so by all means, go ahead.
0: Yeah, it's just an unfortunate comment. Uh, and i unfortunate that it was ever said. Um, I mean, this is his opinion. So, you know, fine. That's your opinion. Um, but it's not an opinion, I think, that we all agree with. Because, you know, like you said, Michael, if he had explained it in a different way, like, oh, Sweeney could have beaten Roger. I mean, unlikely. Right. But, you know. How many people? How many years ago thought that uh, Billy Jean King could beat Bobby Riggs? You know, and she did, and she did, and and yeah, okay. Look, I understand that Bobby Riggs was a character and, and all that, but you know, he also went out and beat Margaret Court shortly before he faced her. I mean, and that wasn't Bobby Riggs out there. Um, I remember that uh, you know that match it wasn't Bobby Riggs out there acting like a buffoon and being weird and and all that. This was a guy went out there he is intense and Margaret Court I believe was still really I want to say she was relatively in her prime still or at least close enough and and she went out there and she lost badly. I don't know I can't remember the score it was like 6-1 like 6-1 six, one, six, one. it was um it, he he beat her pretty soundly. So, you know Bobby or Billie Jean King goes out there and and beats Bobby Riggs in that match and
1: Mike, do you remember what the scoreline was of that match? Bobby, by the way,
0: the Bobby Riggs Billie Jean King. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, uh, I like
1: Eric Eric, find that out while Mike's. Uh, but continuing with his, discussion you know.
0: But here. the thing is, uh, you know, ultimately, it, it isn't about it isn't about what if if Serena could have beaten Roger or Rafa or any of that. It's about the respect that's what it comes down to. It's about showing the respect of this amazing player who has managed to, to play at the top of the game for as long as she has and face down some seriously elite level of competition over many, many, many years. You know, she's been playing since the nineties, mind you. And she deserves the respect. If you don't think she could beat, you know, the top, say 20 25 players in the world fine but you're trying to tell me that she couldn't beat somebody who's 70th 80th in the world on the men's tour 60th 50th I think that's that's hard to believe um I I think Serena especially if you take Serena in her prime too you know you take Serena at 25 years old and tell me that she wouldn't have she wouldn't be taken out you know a bunch of guys. Oh yeah, yeah no, I definitely. Oh, definitely. Should. You know, yeah. In her prime, well, we've t- we, yeah. we
1: we've amongst ourselves talked about that we think that she could beat most of the men's A ball. lot of guys. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and and think about this way: something that we never even brought up. There's mixed doubles played every day. Yeah. The women are out there competing against the men, and it's not like the men are like pulling back and not ripping 130 mile an hour serves, right? Right, I mean, yeah. am I wrong on this? Yep. Like, nope. and these women are returning it. Yep, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, just as though, just as though they're playing, a, you know, another woman in that in that instance. It's it's the simple fact that tennis is tennis, and as long as you have the ability to go out there and hit shots, all the, the only difference is pace. That's it. And if you, as a woman, are able to handle that pace, it doesn't matter. I basically say, if you're you know not, what I mean,
2: I, I basically say if you're not going to
1: make the comparison that
2: you know the the greatest women's um, wheelchair tennis player in the world, you know you wouldn't say, well, you know if she played on the tour and she can't even walk, you know she wouldn't make it out of this. Or you know put Roger Federer in a wheelchair, <laughs> make Rogers get in a wheelchair and see wow. if he can play that that type of tennis there. He wouldn't beat her. She won. Well, no, I can't remember what her what her name is. at The moment, but she had like lost in like thirteen years or something like. No, that. No, she she you won know, like so, over
1: well over ten years in a row without a loss,
2: which is insane. Yeah. So it's it's the matter of the fact is that you know all for the sake of a comment, and I truly think he believes that to be true mm-hmm. because, like you said, people. I think are in it's that way. generation. I really do. Of course, I I just feel that you know, for someone in his position, to 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 be a commentator. You know, as
1: high of a commentator as, as John high is too, as commentator
2: as that's very, it's very false. Think that's the type of stuff that gets you fired from being a commentator. Saying things like that, it even as big
1: as John McEnroe is, yeah, it that's still it,
2: a big deal. It doesn't take a lot anymore. I mean, we've seen what the news anchors lately are—the ones that you know, uh, you know, <laughs> don't some, say something wrong, exactly, you're gone. You know, you make the wrong comment, and you get enough public pressure. You walk out from behind the camera and get handed your pink slip. I exactly. Mean. So I just feel that it was unfortunate that he said it. But, you know, time will tell, um, you know, what what happens with John. If, if, you know, he gets punished for it or if nothing gets done, I mean, we'll see. So. Okay.
0: Okay. Yep. All right. So uh, next up here we have Boris Becker goes from boom, boom to broke. So, good tagline. So, on, the, good tag the, yeah, this is, um, a story that I honestly, being on vacation, uh, you know, I tried to keep up with a little bit of the news, but you know, I was out and about and doing stuff all the time. So, uh, I didn't really know about this until today, actually. And you trailblazer, and, Mike. You trailblazer. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> so, uh, Boris Becker, who not long ago was the coach for Novak Djokovic, has now, um, had declared or just declared bankruptcy. Uh, his judge or his judge, his uh, lawyer tried to convince the judge, uh, who I guess was a Becker fan growing up. Uh, really? yeah, who <laughs> rooted for Becker, uh, growing up, and um, I guess tried to convince the judge that you know Becker could pay this back. He owes, I don't remember how much money it was like over six million or something like that. And wow. um, you know, he tried to convince the the judge that he could do it, and the judge said, "Look, I'm looking at recent behavior, or not recent behavior, like behavior over the course of time. Here, he's not gonna he's not gonna do this. It, it's, it's this is Becker yeah. still
1: as much of a partier now as he was in the eighties, more so
0: in a way. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, he. I guess what from what I've been able to glean from the articles that I've read is that in retirement. Since he retired, now, granted. He's been off the tour for a number of years now, but mm-hmm. since he retired, he's blown through uh, money, uh, um, women, cars, everything. I mean, he he he's living, uh, I think, a fast lifestyle. Um, you know, he, I think in retirement he has never modulated his spending. It's a lot of pro- it's a problem that a lot of athletes have. You know, when you're at the top of the game, when you're playing all the time, you're making all this money. You know, you could probably go out and spend whatever you want. It's not going to matter because you're always going to be bringing in that next paycheck, and the paycheck is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not the millions, uh, depending on the tournament that you win. So you always have this money flowing into your account. Not to mention endorsement deals. You know, anything you make off the court. But when you retire, you can't just do that anymore. And I think that Becker has continued to just be the way he was on on the tour. He's amassed uh, what they say something like sixty eight million dollars or something like that over the course of his playing career. He's broke. He has nothing. You know, and that's
1: the typical sports story, yeah, though. He has sadly. divorce
0: settlements. Uh, he had a divorce settlement for. Twenty-five million dollars back in the in the mid or the early to mid '90s, like in '93 or '94, he's had to he's had build uh, businesses, um, yeah, properties that he's had taken away from him, which he's then had to turn around and buy back in in later years. It it's unfortunate, and, but you know I want to get get you guys thoughts. Michael, why don't you start here? What are your thoughts on BB um, uh, Socrates? Uh, Going broke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, your puns are amazing tonight, Mike, uh, by the way. But anyway, um, like I said, I, I, I've i always perceived Becker as that his lifestyle has never changed. And I mean, let's be honest, after Becker retired, how much did we hear of Becker in the news until he started getting in the spotlight with being uh, Djokovic's coach? None at all. Would you guys agree? There was really no news of Becker ever. But the fact is, um, that's because the man was laying low, partying all the time. (laughs) Um, and and the fact is, um, I don't know, I, I, I don't know a lot about Becker, so I don't want to spot off a bunch of stuff that I really don't know about. But the fact is, um, you know, he, you can see with his personality, he's a very outgoing person. He's, he's not afraid to tell you something to your face. (laughs) Uh, like, I just – I I see him as super brash and the perfect the perfect thing is what you said in, in the article that you read that in the courtroom, like, that him and his lawyer literally looked at the judge and was like, oh, yeah, I can pay that back. Like, that's the type of person he is. Like, I, I think that he's the type of person that when you tell him no or that he can't do something, he's going to have to try to prove you wrong, whether it's complete, like, fairy tale or not, that he could. Um you know the fact that he was able to, it shows it shows the personality he has that he was able to wrangle somebody like Djokovic in long enough for it to be a success between the two. So what I'm saying is, his personality has to be out of this world to be able to reel Djokovic's personality in the way that he did. So the fact is, this does not surprise me. It doesn't because I feel like he probably lived after he was done playing tennis the same way that he did while he was playing tennis and probably up a notch because he wasn't out in the spotlight all the time. Yeah. Uh, But Eric, your, your thoughts.
0: (laughs) It's
2: not surprising. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, thing with um, professional sports. I mean, thankfully now, I mean, when you get in the NFL and I think maybe even the NBA, you go through um, some classes
1: yeah, which I think is on, amazing, uh,
2: by the way, on how to, you know, properly handle your finances. Cause you've got friends, family coming out of the woodwork, people out talking to you about investment deal. Man, mean, this is a great idea. You know, you invest in this you're going to make tons of money. You're going to be set up for life after you, after you retire. And, you know, you get people who are some smooth talkers. And I'm not saying any athlete is dumb because we have a bunch, you know, there's a bunch of them that are smart, but there's also a bunch of athletes that aren't the brightest light bulb, you know, they grew up and they gravitated uh, towards sports because they were very athletic and it came easy for them and maybe didn't pay attention in class. And, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have uh, people of every type that play sports. You're going to have from, you know, some of the people that you can't believe they can tie their shoes to ones that should be working for NASA, you know, and getting us to Mars by now, but, you know, they're instead playing sports. So you have the whole spectrum. And unfortunately, um, they all get hit with the same people. The same people kind of scam them this, that, and the other. And you know, some are smarter than others, and some are not. And I think, you know, Boris being a pretty smart man, I think he probably ended up making some bad choices. Um, and then looked at life of one of two ways: he, he knew either I could, you know, live it to the fullest, which you know, granted his money didn't last long enough I guess (laughs) obviously than than what he wanted but live life the way I want to live it you know and if that's what he if that's what he said because I didn't read a whole lot into this to be honest if that's what he said and said you know what if he comes out and says you know what I I did it my way you know I did things I wanted to do this, that, and the other, and what sucks and don't have money, you know, it is what it is, then it's respectable. If he comes out and starts crying around like a big baby and says about, this person stole money from me and this person had made bad investments and start blaming other people for his, you know, his misfortune, then that's where, you know, it's a little more insulting to my intelligence to think I'm going to believe that, you know, it's your own money, you need to do with it whatever you feel if you decided to blow it on things and so be it i mean we've seen just in the news recently you know with johnny depp about turning around and trying to sue his previous managers about his egregious spending <laughs> and it's coming to light that he knew uh, about uh, most of the loans in this and that and the other so he's doing you know the whole blame game thing um when it's been you know like michael jackson was known to be in a crazy spender and Johnny Depp, the same thing. I mean, when you spend upwards of $40,000 a month just on wine, you've got a problem. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so with Boris, I mean, I hopefully he turns himself around. I think he did a really good job with Djokovic, proven that, you know, he can coach people and uh, hopefully he something comes along in an endorsement of that, that, that he can kind of level himself. But I think he needs to calm it down. And he needs to live within his means and stop living like he's 22 years old. You know, after winning, you know Wimbledon in eighty, I mean, yeah, winning Wimbledon in eighty five, eighty six back to back. You know, he was living the high life, you know, back then. And it's not the mid eighties. This is the mid the mid teens. It's thirty thirty years ago. So, um, I mean, we'll see. Okay. Uh,
0: uh what last comment I'm gonna make uh, on the on that before we go, and that's uh, I know Djokovic has come out saying he's gonna support. Uh, becker um, with all of this fun- financially I, I don't i, I don't <laughs> i don't know but i um, i hope not he
1: should because becker helped him get all that damn money yeah
0: maybe he might feel he it to him or something um maybe okay so let, let's uh move on to the next thing so Djokovic uh takes a wild card into eastbourne um we know that Djokovic wavered it was actually a period of time there where we were wondering if he was actually going to pull out of the grass season entirely just because he his play has been so terrible and uh, that he, like, needed to get away and decompress and and kind of regroup mentally. Uh, More than physically, I think, he needed to regroup mentally. But it looks like he's going to stick with the grass season. He's taking a late wild card, a late-ish wild card into Eastbourne. And um, so I guess the question is, what do you guys think about uh, Djokovic doing this? Is this the right move for him? And what do you think, ultimately, he's going to get out of Eastbourne? So, Eric, why don't you start?
2: Uh, I think it's necessary just because of his, his level of play. I mean, he hasn't played, you might have even said it, he hasn't played in between French and in Wimbledon since 2011, 12. Um, and it hasn't stopped him from winning Wimbledon either. So I think it's it's necessary. You know, unfortunately and fortunately for him, he hasn't had a lot of, wear and tear on his body i mean i know he had dealt with the injury earlier in the year but it hasn't been a lot of wear and tear on his body like like the nadal and team have gone through with all those clay court matches so i don't think it's going to hurt him i think it's going to help him it doesn't matter if he gets one match in two matches in loses you know he just needs to get some matches in now uh so he doesn't go out in the first or second round of wimbledon i know it's a different game beating you know the uh the top players in best of five, and he's always going to have that on his side, especially being a three-time champ of Wimbledon. He's always going to have some sort of confidence going in there, but I think it can only help him no matter what the outcome is. Unless he, lose, unless he loses double bagel in the first round, um, I think it's still going to help him regardless, because if he loses, it's going to help him pinpoint what was really bad, what didn't work to make sure he fixes it for Wimbledon. If he goes through and wins, it wins everything, you know, okay, it's not going to be the biggest confidence boost in the world. It's not like he had to beat Murray and Stan and all these other people because the field's not as loaded. But it's still going to give him confidence either way. I can't see it being bad unless he gets injured. The only way it's a bad idea is if he gets hurt from it.
1: So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. He, he has to get some kind of grass court. Uh, as bad as he's playing and as bad as he has played, He's got to get some time in on the grass. He can't have – right now, we, we talked about it you know, with, with numerous podcasts. He has no confidence whatsoever right now. We, have we said that there has even been one legitimately high-quality win he's had yet this year? Does any come to mind for you guys? Like super high-quality win. Any at all? Uh, Djokovic? Yeah. Super high-quality high, uh, like Like a Djokovic standard win this year.
0: Who did he? Who did he beat? Uh, did he beat somebody previous to Nadal in? Was it Monte Carlo? Um, I know probably Team Team would have
2: been the notice the, yeah. the notable one, but that's after Team beat. But, Nadal. but we
1: already said that the, that we thought Nadal was tired going into the team match. Team was tired going into the Djokovic match. So well, I, think, yeah, I think I think mean, if you're
0: looking at Djokovic playing at like a high level. Just like That's what I'm saying, level. the
1: Djokovic-level yeah. match that we were used to seeing. I think have we played, seen no. any of them out of him this no, year? No, no, there hasn't been... Exactly, that, hasn't that's been, the point I was making. There so has,
2: There's been an okay Djokovic this year, but there hasn't been a last year... A Grand Slam-winning Djokovic there, there play. There hasn't been a last year pre-winning the title of the French Open Djokovic. Right, that's
1: my point. Uh, well, he, U.S. He Open,
2: U.S. Open when he made... The okay, play. but my,
1: what my I'm meaning play. is, this year, there no. has been no true Djokovic-level play... Out of Novak Djokovic. No. Um, so the point that I'm making is he ha- he can't have any confidence right now. There's not a whole lot going his way right now. He's losing to guys that he has no business losing to right now. And things things have completely unraveled for him to where they were. So the point is he needs to get out on the court and he has to play. Whether it's h- helping or hurting him, he's got to get out of there and he's got to figure out how to get out of this funk that he's in. And honestly, I think that just going out there and blindly playing might be his best option right now because I feel like that there's a lot going on around him. Obviously, we saw that he fired his entire team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's usually like a bailout sign, like there's problems. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, he's got to get out there. And honestly, I think he's got to go out there and focus <clears throat> solely on going out and playing, period. Don't think about anything else. Go out and play your match point to point. And just stay in that moment. Don't focus on anything else. Don't let anything else into your mind and just push himself into tennis. And I think that that's going to be the only way that he might be able to pull out of it uh, in, in my eyes. Mike? My-
0: yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, right now he's he's dealing with, and we've said this multiple times, I think he's dealing with just trying to figure out how much more he wants this um, I think he's being pulled in multiple directions, and I think it really comes—he's he, being pulled by family uh, obligations as, as a father and as a husband. And I think that that is is seriously um, the problem. And I and I say that as a, when I say problem, I don't mean hey, he should now jettison his family, um, like his coaching staff or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it is a problem in terms of. He is not able to find the correct balance between life and work anymore. You know, when he was just dating his wife, great. When he was just married, fine. When he had his first child, it probably was an exhilarating experience. And just being a father, it gave him even more energy out in the court. And there's such positivity. But... It you know when you go from having a little baby to having a toddler to the toddler wanting to play with daddy, um, it becomes a lot harder to say no or just go out and practice because you know when it's a baby, it's a baby you know it it can't you can't tell what's going on half the time. Oh, I know. But right, so I was
1: going to say, Eric, you can definitely contribute in that way. Right,
0: I will. So see. you know that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like back then, when the baby was very little. He could just go out and still practice and do his thing, but now he's got a he's got a child. It's a child that wants daddy to stay up and read him or read. I think it was a, is it a her? I think it's a daughter they had. Am I right? Their baby. I think they have a daughter.
1: Uh, they have another one on. Yeah, they, they and they have another one okay. on the way. We, so I think we yeah. I think we drew that up a little while right. back. So one one now, one on the so, way. So right.
0: So so you have a child who now wants daddy to to. You know, come and read her a bedtime story, but Daddy's exhausted. <laughs> you know, or Daddy wants to go out and practice on the tennis court, but uh, you know she wants him to take her to the zoo. That's hard, and it begins to take its toll. And I don't—I've never felt like Djokovic has been one of those people with hands off as a father. I think he's very hands on. I think he wants to be there. I think he wants to get into the all the dirtiness, the muck. You know, changing diapers. Feeding, all that stuff. To me, he strikes me as the kind of person that, that revels in in doing that, um, which I respect. And uh, But I think it does take its toll on his ability to go out there on court, do what he has to do in practice, and ultimately go out there and do what he has to do in a match. I think it's just – and I think altogether, it's sapping his desire out there because he's trying to figure out how much more he's willing to devote – to this right now and i'm not saying that he sits on every day and thinks about this and ponders this i'm not saying he's going to retire in six months either um so you know that's not what i'm getting at but i I do think he's having trouble figuring out a balance here and how he can still succeed by also you know having the kind of family life that he wants i don't know what are you guys thoughts on that you know we guess we can we can move on after this but what are you guys' thoughts
1: I mean, I, I think that that's the problem. I think that, um, I mean, like I said, I I said that, you know, not too far into the podcast this year that, that there was something severely, I think it was in our, our preview for the season, that I thought that there was a major problem within his group. And, and we've seen this now. By the mid year, things have completely unraveled for him, uh, at this point. And, I'm not talking about just the tennis. I, I, you know, there, there was a little bit of discussion that there was, you know, some stuff going on between him and his wife at the time. Uh, it, I think that it was mostly, you know, an internal thing where he probably was trying to stay committed to tennis, but he realized that he couldn't stay committed the way that he needed to. And I think it was him going from a total shift of, I'm totally on tennis to, I'm totally off tennis. And I think that was the only way that he could, you know, fixed things that were going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. I think in in his mind that was his option. That's my best way to fix what's going on. I'm going to devote myself to family life, which there's nothing wrong with that. And as a father to be, I'm probably going to be the exact same way. But the fact is we saw the result of that on the court. Um I mean that's that's my honest opinion is that he went from all tennis to all family. Which, again, like I said, no problems with that. That's completely understandable. We just see the results of it. Are you thinking something along those lines, Eric?
2: Yeah, I just think it has to deal with reaching all your goals. It's a little tough to formulate new ones when the goals that he reached had been his goals for such a long
1: time. He reached them before 30.
2: Yeah, he reached, so, them, you know. You know, reached them before 30. And I think I think if, if beating Roger in terms of titles was the number one goal from the get-go. I think he'd still be motivated, and he'd be playing just the same, but I don't think it was that. I don't think it was ever trying to chase Roger. I think it was trying to be the best he could be, win Grand Slams. I think the career Grand Slam was a big deal for him because it took Roger so long to get there. I think he felt if he'd get there quicker in terms of maybe not beating Roger in the most titles, being there faster, much faster than Roger... Could put him in the conversation, but you know, I just think that his goals, you know, to find someone you know to marry, uh, she's a very nice, nice woman, very attractive. He's got kids, he's married, more money than he knows what to do with, won the career grand slam. He's got 12 titles more than anybody besides Pete, Nadal, and uh, Fed tied with Rod um, Laver. yeah, T- tied with Laver. Um, so it, it's just it's hard to find. That type of motivation, when you reach all of your goals in like a really short period of time, it's hard to come up with new ones to keep that motivation. And I think he was pulled, pulled away. You know, I, I think that it, it, each person reacts differently when they have a child, you know, some take to the, to the child very quickly. When they're young, you want to spend all the time with them. Some people seems like they can't stand their kid until they get a little older. Uh, Some it's overwhelming to have, uh, you know, a young kid. So, you know, who knows what what it is for him? You know, he could be the type of father who just loves spending every moment with. uh, I thought it was a son. Yeah, it's a son. The first one's a son. Um, I think they have a girl coming. Yeah, it's it's a son. Um, because I saw a a picture of him and his son playing on the tennis court. So anyway. Uh, you know, he could like to spend every waking moment, play, you know, hanging out with his son and, and being a dad, and that's obviously going to delve into the killer instinct and the practice needed to be number one and win on the tour. So, you know, that that's my thoughts on that. I I I just think that's what's going on. I think he's motivation, and he's not not as into it. I I think winning the French was the last thing that like truly truly super motivated him and now it's not
0: yeah yeah i agree yeah okay so let's move on here uh we're down to our last few points for the end of the podcast so uh, let's get to this this is uh nadal and murray are are going to play an exhibition at uh hurlingham and it's um in Mallorca. yeah uh so let me ask you a question guys um what do you think about this now you know, Murray went out in the first round, and uh, at Queens, um, and Nadal pulled out of uh, out of Queens because he was advised to to do so, get to get some rest, get ready for Wimbledon. Uh, we've seen Nadal not play any tune ups before; it hasn't equated a Wimbledon victory. But uh, obviously you need to get some kind of matches under your belt, some competition, some true competition, even if it is just an exhibition. Uh, I think that this is uh, a good idea for both players. It gives them a chance to get out there and get the juices flowing. I think if they were to face each other, for instance, I don't think they would take it as an exhibition. I think they would play it as though this is a Wimbledon title because you have to get into that mode. You have to get into that, like you said, Eric, that killer instinct mode. And at Wimbledon, you've got to start that way from, like, round one. So um, what do you guys think about the exhibition uh, idea here for these two players?
1: I mean, in my eyes, uh, for the most part, um, I, I agree. I think that both of them need to go out there and they need to treat this as a real match, honestly. Murray, Murray should have had preparation leading into Wimbledon, but uh, his has fallen very quickly short. Um, and Nadal, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, um, that he, he basically, uh, rest right now is, is always his, his number one thing. Make sure that he's healthy. Make sure, you know, a rested Nadal is better than a rusty Nadal. I think we would all agree. Um, because I think in his mind and the confidence is there, he's not worrying about the body. He's not worrying about not being able to physically go out there and give everything. So, um, in in my mind, for both of them, I think this should literally be looked at as an actual match. I think they should both go out there, no uh, let's-play-tweeners-all-day kind of exhibition. I think they should go out there and literally give the crowd a show, you know, and, and go out there and literally play, like you said, Mike, as though this is a final of Wimbledon. Uh, because I think for both of them, uh, it's a good gauge as to where they're at. I mean, for both of them. Nadal has played very little grass. Well, he hasn't played any grass. Uh, Murray has played very little because he's losing to guys he has no business losing to. Um, I think this is a gauge for both of them. Go out there, give it your all, and see what happens. Uh, Eric, I mean, I I think you're probably feeling the same way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would play it as hard as as maybe you were mentioning. I think they need to use it to work on some things. I don't think anybody's going to play it. Like a regular match because you don't wanna injure yourself for something that. No, but matter. like I mean,
1: you shouldn't be out there going and playing. No, playing uh, lobs I, and, and, and and tweeners all day, and they're not gonna I mean. do that anyway because it's an ex-
2: exhibition and that would rile the crowd up because they wouldn't want to see that. They want to see a little bit of a little bit of competitiveness, and that's probably what it's gonna be. It's probably gonna be about each of them giving 70%, seventy percent, 75 percent. You know, you're not gonna see any of them try to crank out super hard aces, but more or less. It's kind of like working on some shots thing, but not trying to go for winners. Give the crowd a nice show, get a little practice in there, but nothing too crazy. You know, you you wouldn't want to try to, you know, roll an ankle, you know, the week before a woman type of deal. So I think it's good. I just think it's going to be played like normal exhibitions, uh, and that's all there is to it. Hmm.
0: All right. So we have uh, next point here. Gorny Ivanievich. Who is Chilich's coach? Um, claims that Rafael Nadal is the favorite to win Wimbledon this year. Uh, I remember seeing this bit of news. I was completely dumbfounded by, by this. I thought it was this,
2: fake news. I thought it was yeah. fake news.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it felt weird. Um, I couldn't believe that he would say this. A because he's Chilich's coach. Now, I understand that you can use some some subtle mind games to do this. Um, I think. Tony Nadal has done this for, for many, many years because he would always claim Federer the better player, Federer is the greatest of all time and I'm, I'm not here to argue that – against that but I think he always used that as a way to motivate Rafa uh, but by going out there and saying essentially Federer is better than you, it it subtly – Talked you to prove me wrong. Yes, it pushed Nadal to go out there and, and beat the player who my own uncle was, is saying is better than me. Um, and so this could be some subtle mind games he's playing with Chilich, actually, uh, in that he's saying, "Okay, I'm telling you that, that Nadal is going to win Wimbledon, and if not him, it's probably going to be you know like Feder or something." So go out and prove me wrong. You know that might. I guess yeah.
1: here's my I guess here's my argument to that though, Mike. Okay. Of all players, and, and we all talked about this before the podcast. I I don't think Rafa should be the target of of. Even Isevich saying this. I mean, you, you guys agreed with me that he's by by no means the favorite going in. Even in our eyes. Even as you guys saying that you're, you know, as no. heavy Nadal fans as you are, you don't think he's the favorite. Wait, is that the result to it I just it don't up? understand what I... Well... to paint a, I think it's to paint a bullseye on, on Nadal. You, you, call you someone, think
2: that's what it is? You call someone okay. a favorite. Okay. Even though, okay, in, in a certain context, I can understand him saying Nadal's a favorite. Only because... While Nadal did lose to Roger, Nadal dominated all the Clay Court season. So, if anybody no. that's hot right now, Nadal's hot. Uh-huh. But we're also talking about Wimbledon Grass, which Nadal hasn't had any success on since he won it. <laughs> and then, lo- well, he lost in the final of what, 12? 11. No, not in the final 12, because that's Federer won that one. 11. He
1: lost to Murray in the semi that one year or something?
2: Yeah, I don't remember. Whatever
0: his last result was. He hasn't been in the second
2: It's the 2011
0: the final year. against Djokovic. He lost any... Oh, Djokovic, yeah. that's what Yeah, was, yeah, because he I won,
2: knew that he lost he won, late to... He won won an, yeah, he won an 8-10, lost an 11. And since then, you know, maybe he made it in semis in 12, what and all. But after that, basically, from 13 or 14 on, he hasn't made it past, like, the third or fourth round, so... Uh, I I can see a little bit of like Mike said the mind games. It could be it could be that. Um, I just don't see where it's
1: coming from. I don't I don't see the, the purpose of it
2: because Nadal won won the French Open such so convincingly. His game because if Nadal I will say this if Nadal plays with the same type of sharpness an aggressive play an aggressive play he most definitely can win Wimbledon. But I would not peg him as the favorite. With Roger winning seven times, playing, playing as well as he is, playing as well as he was on hard court and grass plays closer to hard court than clay. Whoever plays it closer to grass, so out of the two, I still think it was a little. I mean, I, I, if anything, you would say Roger, you know, because he's the biggest threat. I'd say Roger is the favorite, and then that way, you can maybe put a bullseye on him. So I'm not really sure why, but I can see why. I can see.
1: I, I guess in my mind, though, even Isovich is a very in your face guy. Yeah. Right. So I just I don't I don't see the shadow game thing that he that, that, you know thought. I could be wrong totally. I just don't see that. I just see him as always being a very in your face like this is really how I feel kind of thing. And he could truly feel that Nadal is the favorite, but in my eyes, if I'm Marin Cilic, this is a massive slap in the face. No, Chilich one... has played extremely well this year, and has played well if... on grass. It might not be a slap in the face if
2: Chilich is in on it.
1: If he is. But what I'm saying is, like, with Ivan Isevich being a very in-your-face guy, I don't see the the shadow player or whatever you want to call but, it. But like, I don't see that. But, like, but Mike, it could
2: be. But like Mike said, it, it, you know, it could be like Tony Nadal did is a way to motivate Chilich, Call somebody else a favorite. And, you know, okay, well, you know what? That's what I feel about Marin. If, if you feel that you're better than Nadal, then you need to prove it. So there, there could, there's probably multiple reasons why. But either way, that's I don't think there's a whole lot into it. Um, especially coming from Ivan Isovich. I know he's a former woman, a winner, but twice.
0: Was...
2: <laughs> did he win twice? Yeah, no, he, he didn't. didn't. <laughs> he only won
0: once.
1: Yeah, it was once. I Just thought once. I only saw. Oh, he lost in the final the other time, yeah. right? To Sampras. Yeah, He lost in no one. Yeah. I mean, sorry. He won in no one. And, and he, he lost to Sampras previous to that. End, I think 2000 or no, Mike, he lost to Agassi, didn't he?
0: Yeah. He yeah, lost to Agassi and he, he, he yeah, beat in, Rafter. In he beat Rafter.
1: Right, right. He lost to Agassi and beat Rafter. That's what it was. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and I think he lost to Pete a couple of other times in previous rounds, prior to that. I think. So. I think. Yeah. But, but Regardless, a really good grass court player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows grass. Yeah. But the fact is, um, I, I don't know. I mean, you guys very well could be as frank as I am. I'm not by any means like up on even Istvitch, but I just see him it's, as a very yeah. you know in your face guy. But. It, hey, it's no big deal. Hey, it's a, it's a coaching thing.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, like you said, if that's what he needs to do to motivate Chilich, um, Careful. by all means, like you said, uh, the only thing that could make Chilich a bigger threat is to be motivated because he's played well, he's playing very well. So, what more could you do to make him, uh, you know, more of a threat going into Wimbledon? Make sure he's motivated. I guess mm-hmm. you know that's not a bad idea.
0: Yeah okay so uh last bit of news before we get to uh, our main discussion here and then uh, I guess we'll be done for the week so this is Dan Evans announces a positive test for cocaine um I don't know what you guys I was disappointed of course I think anytime you know we hear a player come out and uh, you know they have a, a positive drug test uh, something like you know cocaine uh, especially and obviously there are much you know harder, drugs and narcotics out there but you know cocaine is no you know i mean it's it's it's, you know it's a pretty pretty severe you know drug and i think for a guy like evans who's young has a ton of promise um it's not something that you know it should be endorsed for sure Uh, and we've seen former players you know who have gone away from the game um hangus tested positive what about 10, 10 11 years ago Somewhere, and yeah. she she left the game for a while she's been back in the doubles scene for the last few years and she's had an amazing amount of success and uh good for her um Gasquet had uh, up, uh, <laughs> had the whole the whole Gasquet thing uh, from about 10 years ago too uh, that was a big deal as well but
1: you know, it was the lips, Mike. It was it all was, the lips. Apparently
0: it was the lips. Uh, in this case, he's come out and he's said, look, I made a mistake. Like, see, so he's not – I will give him credit. He's not hiding uh, behind anything. He's, he's straight up saying, look, I made a mistake. Uh, this was really dumb of me. Um, I, I shouldn't have done this. So at least he's up front and he's kind of apologizing for this from the get-go, which I, I appreciate. Uh, anyway, so what are your thoughts on this whole Dan Evans being – Uh, getting a positive drug test for cocaine so uh, Michael why don't you start
1: yeah um, I mean for the most part I I agree with you wholeheartedly I think that it's, it's a big it's a big positive for him that he has just stepped up and completely admitted to it didn't try to like push it along or or be like oh you know i i it, it wasn't me uh something this or that happened he just don't up to it and you know in all honesty like i feel like these are the kind of things that need to happen even when people get hit for um you know performance enhancing just don't up to it like that's your your only option just don't up to it you know don't don't sugarcoat it don't make it seem like it's it's less than it is it is what it is and just just go out okay it happened um, and just go forward uh, and I think I agree with you um, that I think Evans this was his best option and basically like this this is all that I can do I'm just gonna own up to it and we're gonna go forward and I think to be honest I feel like that his his punishment will probably be lesser for it for not dragging it out or arguing it or, or anything else. I think, like, the people that just say, all right, I messed up. Let's go on. You know, that's honestly the best case scenario. So, um, so yeah. But I, I think that that's honestly the best thing that could have happened.
0: Okay. All right. I mean, hey, look, that's that's um, like I said, it's a positive sign for him, at least in that regard. So let's just applaud him for that. Hopefully he doesn't make that mistake uh, again, and moving forward, he can reassert himself on the court and, you know, hopefully just push all that away. Whoever is getting him into that, whoever is, uh, you know, letting that into his life, uh, get them out of there and, and let's get back to doing what you should be doing, which is concentrating on the game of tennis and, and hopefully being a grand slam champion. Cause if you're not concentrating on that, I don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah well put mike all right so we have a a main discussion uh that i wanted to bring up this week and it's it's nothing too crazy so and i don't want to you know i don't think we need to spend too much time on this um but it is considering it's a light week in general um my main topic this week is um through the first six months who has been the best player in the world so far who basically has been number one that's easy um can okay, we we can have a one-word
2: answer and we can be done <laughs> eric go ahead <laughs> Ralph on it all. okay well okay fine uh i'll elaborate i'll elaborate why because Federer, by rights obviously played phenomenal but Federer chose to take off the clay court season so you've got you know only by his own prejudice you know,
1: <laughs> I'm well, kidding. I'm and,
2: kidding. And, and, and rightly right so if he would have, you know, if he would have played the Clay court season and even if he would have lost to, to to Nadal, but played the clay court season, maybe won one one of the clays and made a nice run in French, you could say you know, it's been um it's Roger, but the fact is that uh Roger didn't didn't sweep Australian Open. It was a tight five-setter to have to beat Nadal. Now, I don't know, he beat Nadal and won um You know, he beat Nadal two more times after, but he didn't thoroughly dominate the hard courts and even Australian Open the way Nadal dominated the clay. Now, saying semantics because it's Nadal's best service, but you're just asking who's who's played the best so far this year. So you've got Nadal that made the finals of the Australian Open, played pretty well in the hard courts. He made it to, what, the finals of... Was it? Did made the final? Didn't Nadal make the finals one of the hard courts and lose to the? He lost to Federer in the final of oh, Miami. Miami, and he, and he made lost to Federer yeah.
0: like the quarters, I think of it's, Indian. Yeah,
2: so you know he, yeah. he played there, and Nadal. I mean, Federer still won. You know, didn't do really well in the next tournament, but Roger wins it all, so he wins three tournaments, and then he takes off, which is fine because I don't think he really felt like he had, you know, the best chance to win the clay, but Nadal played through one, ten, ten. And ten. Well ten, ten, so what, six and ten? Is was it six for Rome or seven for Rome? So something like that. You know, so he he wins, you know, uh, three straight play tournaments and then the French Open. That's why I say it was it was a doll. So far this year. Now, and not saying it's gonna be the same after Wilmington. you know, it it could change really quickly, um, through Wilmington. but I'm saying it, you know, you have to you have to count Federer's absence from clay you can't say well because Federer won those three tournaments won Australian and the next two hard courts and then didn't play the rest of it he's still the best that's that's not fair to everybody else who still played through the rest of the hard court I mean through the rest of the season but I would put Fed as number two obviously because nobody else has been as consistent as Nadal and Fed Mikey what do you feel what's your
1: feelings uh I was going to be much more wholeheartedly between the two and go at 1A, 1B just because um, Federer – in, a... in, in my opinion, Federer dominated the first quarter of the year. Nadal has dominated the second quarter. Obviously, we're getting into the grass. But the fact is, if you look at it this way then, if the grass court season wasn't as short as it is, then you would say the exact same thing for Nadal as you would for Federer because Nadal hasn't played any grass either. True, so in my eyes, <laughs> uh, I, I can't I can't give Nadal a clear cut number one for that reason, because uh, we I, haven't seen him play on grass at all, so we don't know where he's at right now. I can because of points.
2: What is the year? What is the
1: year ranking right now in terms? Because of Nadal won like eight, like five titles, but that's because the clay court season so long. That's the only reason. I know, but Roger could have played the Clay Court season and gained just as many points or close to All it. I'm saying, I'm saying one A, one B, because of the fact that Roger dominated for a three month span and the doll then dominated for the next three months.
2: Roger dominated for a one month span. What are you talking about? He won Australian Open. And then, and then, he, then he won was,
1: and then he won Indian Wells in Miami.
2: Which were right after. So that's all a month and then he quit playing. Month and a half. No,
1: no. The Australian is at the end of January. Oh, there's that long layoff. Okay, but but he didn't play, but in that's between. just because there's nothing in between. That's the only reason <laughs> my point, point, point is he dominated the early hard mean, court season, really and then Nadal mm-hmm. dominated the clay now granted, I agree, Roger did not play the clay court season, which is a knock on him. I agree, but he's now come back and won the grass court title leading into Wimbledon, albeit Holly, which we talked about is not as hard as the others. Mm-hmm. The fact is. I, I'm I'm although, I'm although I'm being I'm not being prejudiced here and giving it to Roger, even though he dominated three months and then well three the three of the biggest tournaments of the year, not including obviously the French Wimbledon and, and the US Open, but for the first six months, I could say Roger, but I'm giving a one A, one B. Only because Nadal dominated the clay as well as he did and played well in the hard court season. I like if that. he would have played grass and he would have done really well on a grass court tournament i actually would have said it all
2: okay mike so i'm going to let turn it over to you here for a second but <laughs> <laughs> i'm only going to do a slight rebuttal on why you would think roger because roger didn't roger didn't dominate the hard court season. because i'm looking at on the quality he of dominated
1: the, but he but he won the 3 biggest tournaments including one slam other than the grand slams he won no, the two I, biggest I tournaments that's... other than the Grand Slams okay. and a Grand Slam. But but you said dominate. He didn't did, did he did he lose his set when he won the Australian Open? Everybody did. Nadal didn't lose his set when he won the French Open. I'm just saying. It's a completely Nadal... different scenario though, because the fact is no no one's good on clay like Nadal is. Nadal, Nobody. Nadal won four tournaments then. Yeah. Roger won three. Yeah. But let's be Roger honest. Roger now won four. But let's be honest. All those Clay Court wins that he had were not against the highest of competition either. Leading into the back half of those tournaments, he played not that many he, super high quality he guys. He had to
2: beat team every f- tournament. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All of them and team beat him. actually. Even... Uh, I know, I know it... but Wait, I know. It was Rome, right? Yeah. I know. Rome. I, know, yeah, I yeah, know he did. A, a, a what I'm saying is Rome. what
1: I'm saying is leading into the back half of those tournaments though. The back half, he obviously had top-level competition. I'm,
2: I'm, not, I'm only saying that – uh, like where, you said,
1: where Roger had top-level competition at every one of those three tournaments. But you can't you can't give
2: Roger so much benefit when he decided to not play a single-clay tournament at all. Like That's, what, that. that's what I'm saying. That's I understand why I have that, to say But that's too. just
1: I, I understand that. I understand if that. If he would have played
2: any of them, then I'd probably still say it. But it's like you can't give him the benefit of being, all right, well – he played the best, but then he decided to quit for three months. The only
1: reason that I still keep him in that conversation is because he has come off that layoff, still continued to play well, and won a grass court. If I took a three-month layoff, I'd be playing well, too.
2: What do you, th- what do you expect? No, I'm just playing. All right, Mike, what do, you, what do you think? Obviously, you see one one side. I'm not saying Roger's bad or, you know, there's really no clear-cut other number one and two anyway because no one else even comes close in terms of points. Team probably be the next highest. But what do you think in terms of, of the best player? You've seen both
1: sides on how we think.
0: Uh, gee, I, th- I think I've thrown out a lighthearted topic for the – I want you guys go back and <laughs> forth.
1: This turned much more aggressive
2: than it was intended well, okay, to be. I, yeah, didn't yeah. Expect, yeah. I didn't expect Mikey to – I not to say you're not disregarding
1: the Clay. We'll I'm not. He... I'm not disregarding it at all. Nadal dominated it. Okay. Well, you're still saying that
2: it's 1A and 1B when one person played the whole year so far and one person didn't play – half of the half of the year so far, whether he dominated or not. That's why I didn't, wasn't expecting that. I thought you more or less have to give it to Nadal's one and two. The only the only reason it.
1: you would give it to Nadal, though, is because he, he played more. That would be the only reason in my mind, then. He yeah. played more. That's Deserved, the only reason.
2: Deservedly so. You play to win points to get a higher ranking. But so. the fact
1: is, though, Roger won when he played. This is what I'm saying. But it then that's the punishment for not playing. That you have to punish
2: someone who decides not to play. You can't go... Like if Nadal didn't win the French Open, okay? Even if he said the best player so far, maybe he lost at the final to Stan. I still have to say Nadal was the better player so far this year because he's been the most consistent and didn't take chunks of time off. To then come back fresh. Of course, you can expect someone to play really well when they're not wearing tear. And it's understandable why he not did. Not necessarily.
1: It. He lost Tommy Haas in his first grass court tournament back.
2: So, so that did, was Russ. So you equate that loss then. You're saying he won in Halley. Okay. And Nadal lost it in Rome. Okay. So, okay. I mean, we're basically. Okay. So those
1: whitewashed. But the, what I'm saying is it's, it's results. When he played, he won.
2: Okay.
1: So we're only saying best player of the year based on results, right? Now just because Nadal won more tournaments in my eyes doesn't make him a clear-cut number 1 only because when Roger played Roger won but when Nadal played Nadal mostly won So did you only because only because the only reason I make it 1A1B is because Roger beat him 3 times in those first 3 tournaments okay, okay, If you yeah. don't if you don't equate that in then Nadal was a clear-cut number one so far, and I understand it. So you're quite, especially with three so, beating. So so results, Mike. Uh, that's with, that's with my only. Games. That's my ending on that results. But, and that's all.
2: And then I'll say that too. Results. So four tournament wins for Nadal. Four tournament wins for Federer. That's why I say one A, one B, and two finals for Nadal. That, now you're getting nitpicky. But you have to, if you're including results, Nadal made the final of Australian <laughs> and won French. Roger won the Australian Open, did not play a single tournament. Okay then.
1: Roger entered four five tournaments and won four. Okay. And well. Right? Yeah. But I, he I mean, only he only won tournament okay, that no, he entered. No, no. He didn't win. T- you can look at it that way. I'm just but, I'm just saying, but, I agree with you that Nadal played more and 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 progressively because he played more, has a better resume but it's only because he played more. We we full well know if Roger would have went to the clay... I agree. I agree. But he Why? just didn't because he didn't feel the need. I agree, but... Is anybody else going to say
2: what you said because you're slanting it to make Roger the equal?
1: I am not slanting it that way. Okay. So I never, check. I never went at it that direction. Let's check the points here.
0: Uh, well, you guys, <laughs> can I, can I, can jump in here?
1: I'm going to let this to you. I here? am going to let this to you. While Eric's checking Go ahead. the points.
0: Okay. Listen, I understand where both of you guys are coming from. Okay. And when I was thinking about this too, I had a hard time parsing out my own thoughts. Okay. But he, I'm going to give this a shot. The, the tennis ranking system, even though it's based on partially on what you did last year versus what you did this year. But if we look at the point system, uh, just for this year, right? It, it shows you who is number one in the world, really. And that's the way people look at it, right? They say, okay, X person this year, he is by far the best player because he's won X amount of points. All right. So what does that mean for this argument? Which I, I thought was gonna be a lighthearted little thing, but I guess not. So my thoughts are that I kinda agree in a way with what Eric's saying, which is you, you you have to give credit to Nadal for playing all year. Now of course he's not gonna skip the clay season, right? He's not gonna skip it unless he's injured. All right, I get that. Uh, and I understand why Roger skipped it because he's like, look, I don't want to put my body through the wear and tear. Uh, Wimbledon, Wimbledon is the is the thing I'm most uh, passionate about winning. It's where I have a best chance of of winning the title. It's the title I win, want to win more than any other. However, like Eric said, Nadal has been out there grinding, doing the work, out there playing week in, week out. Yeah, there's a few weeks off here and there. But for the most part, he's been playing the whole year. It's the match wins. It's a combination of tournaments won, the prestige of the tournaments won, right? He's won a Grand Slam.
1: Oh, Mike, don't bring your ranking system that you created into yeah, this. Yeah, well,
0: hey, we get to that another day, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, the prestige of the tournaments won, because these aren't, you know, ATP 250 tournaments here. These are These are, you know... Master. Well, they both won. The, they both won the exact same
2: point tournaments: two masters and a 500. And Roger got the one slam, and Nadal yeah, got the one yeah, slam. Yeah, exactly. A slam, two masters, and a 500.
0: Right, but I think what what I'm saying is, is it's the cumulative, it's the cumulative amount of points won. Plus, when they have won, yes, both players have won similar prestige with their tournaments. Right, they're they're both highly thought of tournaments. Every, you know, big the biggest players go to these tournaments. Uh, so, you know, I, I,
1: okay. So because Nadal played two more tournaments than Roger, you're giving him the number one. It's 2,500 points ahead. But that's because he played more Masters. Roger skipped the masters. Look at it this way. Okay. He's that many points ahead. But But if Roger plays those tournaments, that gap isn't there at all. And then that, then
2: it's close and even. And then you can say, I'm trying to be nice and say it's even close because it is. If you look at just the race for this year, Rogers clearly number two. But you can't say Rogers the number one player through six months. He might have been the best player through when he decided not to play. But he did not prove that he's still the best player because. But he why said, should you know he
1: what? be docked just because he didn't? Because he didn't
2: f- play. Because you have to give that up. It'd be like saying he's the best player all year. He doesn't play the rest of the year. And because he dominated the first 3 months, you're like, "All right, he's should be the no, number one player all year." No, I'm not saying that. Cuz that's what you're alluding to cuz you you rank him the same way. If he played and say he won Wimbledon and then he didn't play the rest of the year and it all played through in one US Open, you can't still say No, because Roger, if he doesn't
1: play anymore, then that's a ton more. We're talking about a couple of tournaments. We're not talking about 6 months. We're not talking half the year. He quit in March. So April, after Indian Wells, April, or after Miami. April,
2: May, and June. And then he started in, in, playing in June again. Exactly, in June. Mid-June. So, into March.
1: Two two, two, two and a half months. Yeah,
2: exactly, two, two and a half okay. months. Okay. That's, that's as long as he dominated, too. Because, like you said, there was that gap. I'm
1: just saying, because of results of being on court, I don't think that he should be docked because he did not decide to play them. I don't think that he should be docked, is all I'm meaning. <laughs> docked is all I'm saying. I don't think that it should be a negative to him. Did Nadal play more and get more points? Absolutely. But if that's the case, then what's the discussion? He has more points done and over with. Okay, but we reverse these roles right now. Yeah. And you wouldn't even give me the shadow
2: of the day to yes, say I that. Yes, I would. Nadal... If
1: Nadal was in the same position as Roderick with the same points, I would have said the same thing. Because Nadal dominated that section of time. If it would have been a complete reversal. If I was uh, no, if right, I was I, being. I get, I get all
2: right. So I understand. I understand what you're saying. And, and I'll paint it. That, I'm not. I'm, I'm not.
1: I'm not making it. I'm, I'm gonna, not making gonna... it a, a straight out. It is what it is. Because if that was the case, then obviously Nadal is. He has 2,500 more points. Okay. So but, then the discussion wouldn't be had. Is but, all I'm And I'll,
2: I'll say in an easy way. Oh, it's not an easy way? But I'll say in the simplest way I can say why I feel Nadal is clear number one. And there's and arguments Roger, for both, in and, my opinion, but, of course. And Roger, a <laughs> close number two, is the fact that you have Roger best person through first three months. But then you got to put in the doll
1: is the, the next three best. months.
2: No, 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 no. Second best person through the first three months. Then okay. you got to circle the next set, the clay court season. You put in the doll number one, and you put Roger zero DNP because he just didn't take play. D&P. Okay, D&P. I understand that. I understand that. That's where I got to go. That's why when you say results, I ha- you have to count.
1: Well, you if have you to really fact- if playing. you really factor that, and then you then Roger's not even number two. Yeah, he is because he fucking forty five hundred points. But what I'm saying is, look at teams' results then. He made it to the the back end of of but most did. of those clay court tournaments,
2: but he didn't win any
1: of them. But, but that's only because of Nadal. If you take Nadal out of the equation, he wins all of them, and that's why he's number three. Just, he's I'm gone. Just, what that, I'm saying where... is, uh, I understand what you're saying, and like I said, we're we're both we're both to the point where this this conversation is not going to end. I this conversation is not going to end. <laughs> I know. I like, it, look, it won't end. Yeah, like, it won't look, end. And the point right. is, I. I was trying not to be very prejudiced about this.
2: Well, you're acting like I was very prejudiced. No, no no no, 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 no. I'm too.
1: not saying that. And you're entitled to that opinion. And like I said, if we look at it just clear cut, which is what I feel you guys are doing, yeah. in all yeah. honesty, clear cut, well, it's the points. It doesn't matter. Nadal, Federer, and team are 1, 2, and 3. Well, that's because they've been the three most dominant players for the first six months of the year. Because that's the normal, widely accepted Right, method. right. So what I'm saying is I'm looking at just body of work. Alternate method. Just, I'm just looking, yeah, because otherwise there's no discussion here. Okay. If if, if if we aren't looking at it in terms of quality of play, then there's no point. It, it is what it is. The doll would be clear-cut number one because he's ranked number one. So thank you for admitting you slanted the view. So I'm not slanting. It. No, I'm looking at it in an, <laughs> I'm just looking at it in a different way. I know. The, the, the okay. points, and, and and this is why a discussion the that we've working. had before about the rankings, and that a lot of people say the rankings are wrong in the way that they rank people, and then no, some no. cases they the, say they aren't. WTA, has well, okay, the worst. and the WTA, but they do, they do, but that's because of the inconsistency. On the men's side, that's not the case. No, it's very consistent, and the points have been how they are for. It and, the and, and my point is, some people argue, some people don't. My point is. If if I'm looking at it in a clear-cut way, then there was no need to have the discussion. Right? He has more points. He's number one. Done. Mike, it's your fault for bringing up this topic then. You should have I said- mean, I mean, think about it, Mike. Honestly, with, with the, the topic that we just brought up, if we're looking at it in a straight point of view, as you would with the rankings, then there's no discussion. In, in that instance, if I'm going to look at it in that exact way— then you're right. Nadal's number one. I look, but I, I'm looking at it as body of work.
0: I look at it like this. In a period
1: of time. In yeah. a period of time. Mm-hmm. And only because Roger won those three tournaments at the beginning of the year, am I just because he didn't play the clay court, I'm not negating it. Okay. That's no, all. No, no, I, because I, 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 sure I agree I that if it. Nadal... Would have done the exact same thing and won those first three tournaments of the year and dominated that section of time. Okay, and then he didn't play the clay. So you and to... Roger dominated the clay. I still wouldn't you put Roger at... as a clear cut number one. You're looking
2: at Roger's dominant period.
1: I'm looking at it as over over this time period. Yes,
2: but then you. Can't... I'm looking at
1: it as a chunk of time. But then you can't count Halley. But I am counting Halley because we're saying up to this point right now he just won Halley. You can't count Halley.
2: Then it all didn't play anything. So if you can't count Nadal's wins without Roger I'm being not there, saying that I'm counting them without. Then you were cuz you're not counting his his
1: Roger didn't points. play at the French or didn't play the clay court and Nadal hasn't played the grass court. But you're discounting then and, and Like I said the are... only reason is because the grass court season's shorter than the clay court. There's a lot more tournaments. That's not that's like I'm saying that then Harps right back to the point system. Nadal, there's, what, 10 or 15 clay court tournaments. There's three or four grass court tournaments. But that's, so that's the, the, the that's time, the, the, time of, a point, the frame that, of time. That's the reason you know. a point system instead of Right, jumps. exactly, exactly. So what I'm saying is, if I don't look at it, if I look at it in any other way than the point system, I think it's very level. But if you're looking at it as straight as it is, mm. there's no argument that Nadal's not number one. Mike, what were you saying?
0: <laughs> oh, yes, I'm here. <laughs> Okay, um, I mean, I, I guess I look at it like this. I mean, I understand what you're saying with with the um. If you, if you look at it straight up point wise, then yeah, Nadal's number one. If you look at it quality of play uh, at a period of time, then you know you can look at it that way. But you know, look at it this way. You take a player like say Serena. About ten years ago, uh, she was kind of playing tennis, not playing tennis, but you know she come in. She play Australian Open, win. Not play almost at all. You know, maybe play Miami or something. Uh go away. Come back. Should we play the French? Go away. Well, I guess not really go away, but go play Wimbledon. Win Wimbledon. Um, maybe play one of the hardcore tournaments, play US Open. Maybe she didn't win that one. Uh play a couple tournaments in the fall, win those, win the World Tour finals at the end of the year. is number one in the world. Now, you have an instance like that and it's like, well, you know, hey, she won two Grand Slam titles. She won the World Tour Finals. She's number one in the world because by the ranking system, you know, she she won the most points because she won, A, two of the biggest titles in the entire year uh, and she won maybe a couple other really big titles as well and just in lieu of that alone is number one in the world. Now, on one hand, you could say, In the sections of time she did play, she dominated. But is that also fair to a player who's number two in the world, posted good results all year, missed out on world number one at the end of the year by like 500 points, but she grinded in week in and week out and played her tail off? Now, which player is better? You know?
1: Um, and that's and that's been an argued discussion for a long time.
0: And that's the thing, though. That's what I'm saying. Like uh, in reference to the uh, to what we're talking about, and I think this is what I think Eric has been getting at, which is <clears throat> which is that when Federer has played, he has dominated, which is very true. But you have to give Nadal the the nod in that he has been consistently great from January. Through the French Open, now obviously he pulled out in plenty grass. Yet I understand that, but he has played consistently great. He you know he made Australia final, almost won that really great match. Uh, you know yes, Roger beat him in Indian Wells and in Miami. Nadal made the final Miami had a successful hard court season overall. Went in obviously we know the clay season he had, but he has been consistently at a high level all year long. Maybe it didn't always result in a win or a title, but he was getting the finals. Absolutely. He also got to the final of Acapulco Absolutely. as well. So, uh, and just, just lost to a, a hot, red hot Sam Query, uh, who probably could have taken just about anybody down that day. So, or that week, and he did. So, the point I'm trying to say is if you look at it like that example I gave about Serena, it's like, well, on one hand, it's like unfair to just say, hey, she's the best player in the world. Because she wasn't out there week in, week out, battling and, and showing that she was the best player at, you know, week in, week out, the grind, you know. Um, and then in this instance, we have Nadal who has been playing week in and week out. He has the most match wins of anybody on tour all, you know, all year by, I think a pretty decent. Margin. I think he's.
1: Uh, I think it's pretty close. Is it close? To him and team, to be honest. Okay. Because team played a lot more than he. Yeah,
0: does. yeah, that's true. For what? But it,
1: uh, most most uh, matches won.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, you know he's he's got the. M- that's yeah, what yeah. you're yeah. saying, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, he's
1: got he, teams right behind. Yeah. So he's got the. Uh, it's, it's close. Okay, so
0: he's got the most matches won, he, but he's been consistent, and I think that's the point that Eric's been trying to make, which is Nadal has been consistently great since January, and okay. Federer has been great from January. To March and great last week or this week. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the point you're trying to make, Eric, right? Which is that the consistency week in and week out is why you feel Nadal is number one. It's not just about the points, it's about playing well all year. The fact that Federer didn't play, that's the decision he made.
2: Yeah, that, yeah, that, I was just saying that it is, is you just had to, you have to account for. His decision and it was what's best for him. I've know I'm, I'm not
0: arguing that point. I'm not arguing that point at all. Yeah,
2: it was. Is you have to you have to penalize for decision to entirely skip events, whether would have won him or not. You don't know you that know. he could have
0: lost in the first round every single tournament.
2: Could he? Could have won all. Of yeah, two, but but so. that's a
0: big. That's a big what if, I and mean, that's that's not worth even. Yeah. That's not even worth even getting into a discussion. It's just d not dnp did not play because because you if know. you
2: if you account for his absence as much as is it's not fair to count his absence to be worth as much as Nadal's performance in the first in the first half of the year or the first three months because he did make a bunch of finals he didn't win anything but you know making the finals of Acapulco and Miami and Australian Open you know that has to add to him more than it's worth for Roger just to skip it even though he's playing at that high vol high level
1: than to just skip it uh, that's why I was saying you, but again in my only argument was because if you because look what, at it at, you, if you look at it as that there's no point in discussing this well there, there is a point in discussing because it's not just necessarily no because uh-oh. of what I'm saying is if I don't bring this ulterior point of view right here if I don't bring that in and look at it as something different than complete body of work, and everything like that. If I don't bring something in, other than that, there's no discussion. I know. If I don't look at it that way, Nadal is clear cut number one, and that's because he played more and he won more. I know. It's that's a ba- th- all. It's a bad topic. I just didn't want to tell Mike. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, my point is, my point is, if I don't bring it in that way, there's yeah. no discussion because I, it's going to be a flat out it. Well, Nadal has more points. He's number well, one. I, yes,
0: I okay. Exactly. I apologize for the talk of it. Okay. Look at this, Mike,
1: this mic, you completely ruined I'm the sorry.
0: Podcast. Uh <laughs> look, I wasn't
2: I didn't <laughs> mean and it to and it's only to, and it's only because Roger took off. If he would have played the clay season, If he would have played,
1: it would have been so much closer. Well, yeah, you, and
2: you, it wouldn't you, have been You would have on. just been able to, to compare because he would have had the same tournaments played. Roughly. And yeah. I and like I said, I understand where you're coming from, and then the way the question was asked should have been asked was despite Roger's absence, would you blah, 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 and maybe make it a little bit easier. But even looking at that way, you're still discrediting whoever played the whole year so far. Now, I'm not discrediting.
1: <laughs> I'm not totally discrediting that.
2: What it's a to make it
1: Roger because, because the problem, hey, wait, is did you say Roger one or you say Roger a- one B? I said one, a one B, which means they're exactly pretty much equal. I'm not. I did not specify anyone was 1A and one was 1B. See, I said 1A, 1B, which in my terms means they're basically right here.
2: Yeah. As long as this is Nadal is a little bit up, then <laughs> the, you're okay. The only
1: reason that I could give Nadal 1A is because he played more. But otherwise. Hey, you said that 15 minutes ago, we'd have been done already. <laughs> you took it. You just took it as I was being super negative. I. I was being very neutral here because you guys know these last few weeks, this last month and a half has been horrible for me watching the doll win week after Week, but the fact is I'm accepting it at this point. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm accepting it at this point and I will give you 1A to Rogers 1B if that will settle this conversation. A little
0: bit more, okay. All right, I think right, Mike, I think I, I think, think we'll end the podcast here, right? Yeah, <laughs> okay.
2: what,
1: cut out like the last half. People, hour? just so you know, we did not hit each other. Mike, <laughs> it may have seemed that way. Yeah,
0: yeah no, yeah. Uh, okay, well, that was a a fiery uh, last half an hour. I, I will give you guys that. Uh, I just sat back and and listened for the most part. Mike, you enjoyed That's all. It's fine. Of it. Yeah, that was my that was it. my whole uh, plan. So, um, yeah, but it was a good discussion. I mean, okay, I apologize for having framed the question, but I just thought it would be a lighthearted little discussion. What am I thinking? I don't know why I thought that, but oh well. Um, But of course, this next uh, podcast coming up here, it'll be, I think we're going to, I think we're going to, what, try to record Sunday if possible?
2: Probably before Wimbledon starts, we'll try to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to try to, I got to look at schedule, I don't know what's going on. Okay, we'll uh,
0: we'll, we'll figure it out. But But anyway, it's going to be, of course, a Wimbledon preview. Uh, we'll do our usual we'll have the draw out we'll we'll make our picks on both the men's side and the women's side so we're going
1: to have to find a way to bring fire to this draw podcast yeah
0: <laughs> so uh we're going to have all that to discuss and of course uh any tournament winners uh you know we have Eastbourne this week so we'll see how that goes we'll discuss any results uh, so if you want to, uh, throw in your two cents into the podcast about maybe the discussion that we had this week, any of the topics we covered, uh, if you have thoughts on the upcoming, uh, Wimbledon tournament, um, even Sands draw, uh, if you'd like to somehow just send any email in about anything, whether it's how we're doing, uh, whatever, uh, send it into, uh, tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, in the subject line, just make sure to put, uh, what you are writing in about. And uh, we'll read it on the the next podcast, and we'll certainly, you know, give it a nice and hopefully very lengthy discussion. Um, but yeah, so we love and jo- we love and we enjoy any kind of uh, feedback that we get. It doesn't have to be good feedback. It could be negative feedback, even. It's fine. Uh, we've had that before. So as
2: long as we're hearing something from the fans, lets us know, you know, whether we're doing something right, doing something wrong. I mean, I'm interested to hear if someone you know, wants to write in and and see what point of view they like. If they like Mikey's point of view, which I understand a little more now on why he brought up with it because of the the terribleness of Mike's question. Or if they, you know, or or if they just look at basically just the results point-wise on the system. So it will be nice to see whether they think they lean more towards Mikey, more towards us, um, you know, and, and the thoughts and that. Because it's nice to know what people are thinking and then, you know, if there's a topic people want us to talk about specifically about certain matchups or who do they think was the best, you know, grass court player, returner, this, that, and the other. I mean, we try to think of some stuff, uh, you know, to keep people interested. It's not always as simple as it seems. Yeah, yeah, especially with, uh, you know, day-to-day lives going through. It's sometimes uh a little hard to it's a, it's a grind out.
1: before podcasts sometimes yeah, sometimes
2: yeah it's not it's not i wish i didn't have anything to do during the day but think about stuff to do for the podcast and topics and whatnot but it's not always there so if anybody has any uh ideas uh for a topic they'd like us to discuss i mean definitely send it in to us like mike said um won't uh won't look over any topic not necessarily will Talk about everyone. If we start getting a lot of submissions, we'll definitely try to pick you know the topic that fits best. But we at least uh,
1: or even move it back to another podcast. But at yeah, least try well, to we, get and, everything and, on. Yeah, there. If
2: we and if we get enough material, we can always have a separate podcast just basically uh, just based solely on. Uh, what type of topics, yeah, feedback. Which I think would be amazing, us to do. by the way. Of course, of course. So, yeah, please, it, you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. If someone has an errant thought during the day, write it down, send it into us in an email, and we will uh, get to it uh, with our next podcast.
0: Yeah, so again, um, you know, if you want to write into the podcast, it's uh, tennisaddictpodcast at com. That's all one word, all lowercase. Uh, don't be afraid to uh, send in any of your thoughts, any of your opinions. Like Eric said, uh, we take... Awesome missions. Uh, whether it's just something you want to express now uh, for the latest podcast, or if you have a thought or an idea for a future podcast or our upcoming, you know Wimbledon uh, preview, uh, by all means send your stuff in because uh, any feedback that we get is greatly appreciated. So that's it for us. Uh, we'll be back, of course, in the the next podcast for our Wimbledon preview. So have a good one, and we'll catch you in the next podcast.